Hi, listeners. I want to tell you about a cause that I'm involved with at Heritage Radio Network. HRN is celebrating its 15th year, and to celebrate, we're deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. Osiris. Welcome to Wheels Off, a show about the messy reality of the creative life. I'm Rhett Miller. Whether it is with Toad the Wet Sprocket, the WPA, or on his solo records, Glenn Phillips is always out there trying new things, challenging himself, searching, searching, opening himself up for inspection, spiritual inspection. He's a hippie, a self-described hippie. I would concur. <laughs> I've known Glenn for a long time. We uh, met each other during my years in Hollywood at a club called Largo that I think about all the time. So made so many friends in that room, and Glenn was one of my favorites. He he is an incredibly smart guy and also tortured in the best way, you know, if that makes sense to you. He tends to challenge himself and is usually pretty busy doing a lot, live shows, recorded music, getting out there in the world. He opens up during this conversation in the best way about his own search for meaning, his own search for happiness. Um, he has a brand new record out, a solo record called There Is So Much More that's fantastic and is in itself its own kind of weird, challenging new thing. I think you're going to love it. And I think you'll enjoy this conversation. He's got a great perspective, and I think he draws on it to make a bunch of really salient points and offers up a bunch of great wisdom. Please welcome to Wheels Off, Glenn Phillips. Welcome to Wheels Off, Glenn Phillips. Thank you so much for joining me, my friend. Thank you for having me here. It's so good to see you again. Oh, man, it's great. Uh, for the edification of our listening audience, from where are you joining us? Uh, this is Santa Barbara, California. So nice. on the Mesa. Yeah. Can you hear the ocean from your house? Um, I can pretend that I can hear the ocean from my house. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can, if we stand at just the right place in the yard, see the ocean from our house. So, oh, that's nice. Yeah, it's about it's like about a, a five minute drive uh, down the hill 
uh, to get to uh, Henry's Beach. And it's a great, we got a dog about a year ago, so we can run off on an off-leash beach uh, pretty quickly from here. It's great. I'm feeling so jealous right now as it's 27 degrees and raining in New York. Oh, uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but the spring, the fall. But, but the spring. <laughs> and you're in right now, you're in a room that's uh, filled with guitars, it looks like. Mm -hmm. Is this, this is... where you, when you do live streams, is this your spot these days? Yeah. So this has been live streams, most album recording. I mean, we're able to record now in rooms with other people, but certainly during lockdown, this was also, this was everything. <laughs> this was, yeah. Uh, it looks really comfy. Um, it is. I also get to sleep in here. Well, I got COVID a few, uh, about a month ago. So I got to, it also is a bedroom. <laughs> it works for everything. So. Uh, so what creative project are you working on at the moment, Glenn? And how does it light you up? Well, right now, I mean, most of it's been uh, just getting, uh, getting my album out and uh, working on that. So I have a new solo record called, um, uh, what is it called? Uh, there's so much here. <laughs> Um, that was all kind of, uh, yeah, I guess we did tracking about a year ago on it. And so first solo album in a long time and, um, been really enjoying that process and going out solo, getting ready for a toad acoustic set soon. And we're talking about writing and recording. So it's a bunch, it, it's that thing where I'm not like funneled into one thing at this time. It's kind of you know, maintenance phase on a lot of, a lot of pieces and kind of trying to figure out to some degree how to be a little more strategic and business-like about the next creative stages. Um, and doing that from a, a, a more positive point of view, instead of like a panicked point of view, I, I've been reactionary for a lot of my career and so it feels good to go like what what's like worth being away from home for and how do i construct a life that um you know gives the the benefits of this amazing opportunity but also you know avoids like just going back into the grind of constant touring which i think a lot of a lot of us have been asking right like what's the right balance and what actually works so it's funny how stepping away for a couple of years, all the musicians that were grinding on tours um, that I've spoken to have had to sort of reevaluate, especially now as they kick back in and you look around, you go, oh, my God, here I am back on the moving sidewalk. Yeah. Where are you and, landing on this? Well, I mean, this year has been I, I mean, I'm realizing I was out for six months. Um you know, since, since May doing, you know, we did this eight week summer tour with bare naked ladies. Then I did, we did a few weeks on our own. Then I did three weeks on my own. And then all the breaks got taken up by going off and doing a video or doing makeup shows. Cause, and you know, even the breaks were scattered. And so just, you know, keeping a relationship alive, I think there's a certain kind of guarding you do when you're gone too much where you have to shut off in order to survive. But that means when you get back, you're like sniffing each other out. And it's like, <laughs> do you want to be here kind of way? Are you, is this working for anybody? And, you know, finally getting over that hump again of, um, you know, home feeling like home. And so, 
and and trying to figure out how to protect it because it's cost me one marriage already and you know i don't want it to cost me another because i really love being here and so uh, and we got to kind of forge our togetherness in lockdown where we had tons of each other and i got i worked at home every day for the first time in my life i mean same as you right um and so we got this rhythm that was very much about being home together and now it's not and so um which is also okay i love i love this job but uh maybe not quite so much of it <laughs> at least on the away team so he, he says as he runs down the list of albums he's releasing <laughs> yeah well i mean we did a new toad one yeah. last year um you know it, it's yeah, but there's got to be something other than the album and touring cycle, at least in this like, you know, indefinite forever way or or in thinking about it of trying to take me from A to C. You know, I think everybody's waiting for their Jason Isbell moment, right? Or they're like where suddenly for some reason, you know, you've always been good, but now you're ubiquitous. Yeah. <laughs> and, and you you know, not being graded on a curve, like that thing of, you know, even feeling like you put out an album and, and you know, people are thinking, oh, he's pretty good. If I didn't get it, maybe it's me. Uh, <laughs> and so it, it's, uh, you know, and instead of doing that, just go like a, a to B, like this, this album is out and I've done so many albums where like I was hoping it would make some magical difference in my life. And I think this is one of the first solo records I put out where I just didn't care. And I made a record that you know, instead of having it be acoustically oriented so that it could fold down to a solo acoustic tour, which is what I knew I'd be able to afford, right? And instead of thinking that way, I thought, well, nobody's going to hear it. I'm just going to have fun. Like, I'm going to have all the fun. And so <laughs> that it came out for some reason much better because uh, it was playful. And, you know, even the songs were all based on this songwriting game kind of in uh, that I play with uh, Matt, the electrician. He does a, a Bob Schneider style songwriting game, right? There's like 20 of us and he sends out a prompt every week and we all write a song with that title somewhere in it. And, you know, it was playful from you know the writing of the songs onto the recording and and that the release was like i don't know i had such not low expectations but i i wasn't like praying that it would change my life and it's made the whole process easier like i've been waiting for the period where i just that's yeah, a record you know and strangely <laughs> this record feels like there's this incremental like half step forward and it's like that's good that's enough, you know? <laughs> and maybe there's a lesson in that, right? It comes up all the time in these conversations that when you make something and while you're making it, you're calculating how it can, whatever, be make a ton of money or how it could land in some radio format. Like the calculation is the thing that ruins the piece of art that you're making. But nobody's really ever brought up this idea. And, and I totally get this because I do it too. As you're making a record, like, you try to be realistic and think about the logistics of touring and that kind of stuff. And I wonder if in a way 
that you know is a dampening uh, element as well. It's uh, yeah, it's it's great that you let yourself kind of go crazy. No rules, right? That's the whole point of what mm-hmm. we do. Yeah, it's uh, wheels off, like someone said. <laughs> I mean, so but it's uh, that freedom has made for something better and i think i mean too there's you know there's the george o'keefe blue period idea right where you you know limitations do help and having some kind of a manifesto or having you know some kind of a palette to work with also helps and you know i was talking i was talking to sean Watkins recently and and we were talking about playing pacs and how nice it is to play pacs but you have to do something you know, relevant, deemed culturally relevant, and just writing an, another set of good songs isn't necessarily enough. And we were talking about, damn, it's time for another project. We should do something like, we should do something for PACs. And he brought up this Steve Jobs quote about like, yeah, answer the question first and then let the solution like fill itself in. And just to be able to say, let's get like a group of people we really like doing something that might be worthy which is a different way of doing it too like constructing this okay like what would be subject matter that we could write a piece for what would be like culturally both interesting to us useful to people but also like be something that might be able to be booked in that as opposed to being, you know, yet another middle-aged white man with a guitar who has feelings, which, you know, there's a lot of us about and, and we need to make room for other voices while still making a living. Right. And so (laughs) it's, you know, um, and so what's our road to that? But the idea of saying, God, Sean, like, let's do something where we can afford to be on the road together and make those days worthwhile. And that, that makes it less a calculated business decision than more of a lifestyle and friendship decision and a creative challenge. And, you know, even twisting this around from, you know, that nineties idea, you know, in our twenties of being these people who are like, yeah, whatever come up with is cool, man. You know, I'm, and hating your singles and, you know, kind of being in a major label, you know, it's the nineties disease is being in the major label world while pretending you were above it. Yeah. Um, And now we all have to be like, you know, both artists and conscious of, of what we're putting in the world and how it works and what kind of arrangements we want to make. Um, Isn't it funny how that environment was so, anti-gratitude oh sense? it was toxic as hell yes yeah. no it, it makes perfect pure sense it was anti-gratitude absolutely we we're gonna so play the single you're just here because you're lame if you heard us on the radio <laughs> thanks for your 20 dollars. <laughs> go home like it's so stupid it's unbelievable one, uh, thing, one thing i've always loved about you is that you are you're so unwilling to be happy with just one uh, outlet. Like you're constantly coming up with different projects and different bands <sighs> and different. And, and I, I see you grimacing and maybe you see it <laughs> as a problem, but I've always thought that was really cool. Like you like the challenge. Is that right? Yeah. Well, 
I like that. I mean, you're one to talk, number one, <laughs> uh, <laughs> on your podcast after your film appearance with your band and your solo record and probably a new book. Uh, it's yeah. But there's. I mean, I like creative difference and I, I'm trying to figure out if I'm addicted to peak experience and newness for newness's sake um, uh, or if there's something to really be learned in that variance. And I think the artists I like the best have metamorphosized a lot, you know, or even if I don't always listen to, um, you know, people like Bjork who t do these audacious projects. I don't necessarily like do the dishes to them, but I admire them more than anything. Um, and I'm creatively curious. And, you know, one of the easiest ways for me not to feel lazy or like I'm just circling the same material over, because also in some ways I've been all about mindfulness as a subject in one way or another for a very long time. And it's kind of an endless um, fascination because the point is you keep forgetting to show up and then you remember again. And every time you remember, you remember in a different way and at a different state. And, um, but it, yeah, at the same time, I love collaboration. I love challenge. I love surprise. And so, um, especially as toad has kind of reformed itself and i think figured out a new and more positive way of relating to each other and relating to our creativity and you know we're not i i am really in the like let's like get in a room with a therapist and have a pillow fight and like work it all out and go and and there's not really room for that in the psychological makeup of the band and so how do we not rip open the old wounds um, while possibly not even addressing them directly? Like each forgiving each other from our own corner and taking each other as we are now, which is a, not my normal way of working. I want to open everything up and have it get messy. And, and so, but we've really in the last few years turned a corner. And so I'm having to figure out how to do that work on my own while doing it kind of covertly with the band and meeting them where they are. And we've all made great strides actually. And I find myself, you know, holding grudges for 10 years ago. And then I have to check myself and go like, I'm not getting that reaction anymore. That behavior is not currently happening. I'm, I'm the bad one here. <laughs> and, um, I mean, which is to say like, there are things in the band where it can be less spontaneous. We're not the band that goes in and knock things out. And we're doing these little experiments, like even doing the acoustic thing is going like, let's do something out of our comfort zone and, you know, play these songs in a different way and see that we're adaptable so that maybe there's room for, more in studio collaboration and less like in our own corners on the next record. Like the last record was very much about sending in tracks during Dropbox. Um, and I do solo projects, I think, strangely to have easier collaboration. Like it's not about having total control. It's about being in the room with new people where 
you know, the thing about people you haven't been in a band with for 35 years is you feel like you can always just go, hey, try this. And people will go, okay. And, and so you get new ideas at a quicker rate and more surprise and get I get kicked out of my own habits. Um, whereas with the band, we're also careful about not hurting each other or watching our own ancient hurt that we're a lot more shut down. It moves very slowly. Uh, and we're all trying to open that up, but it's a very careful, slow process. Um, I can relate to all of this uh, pretty, I don't know if anybody else in the world can relate quite as closely as I can to your experience you're describing. It's great. 35 it's years. That's crazy. Yeah. And it's, it's which makes it familial, right? Yeah. We're oh, not yeah. a band. If I went out and I found you know, good luck if I could find two people. Here's the other thing. It's like, because it's familial, good luck if I could find two other people that I had such an instant musical rapport with, right? Where I understand what Todd's going to do, what he's going to react to, how he's going to fill things in harmonically. He's got the best fucking tone of anybody. He's, you know, like, it's going to be good. It's also going to take a while, right? It's not Greg Lease just going, how about this? And you're yeah. like, oh, shit but but i know that it's gonna sound like todd and it's gonna sound like toad and like the work to you know it's like there's there's this element that will happen with them that would not happen anywhere else and there are certain parts that are quicker and then there are certain parts that really really have to be worked for and whereas if you go in with you know new people they're just throwing stuff against the wall and you get to have that interaction and that playfulness um and we were never a band that played covers in bars we we always played our own material we always kind of did this development of songs in our own corners and so um you know there is a beautiful advantage to it but there's also that there's just so much history uh and yeah, it's it's an interesting one. It's an interesting one. Um, uh, what what about before before all of the history when you were just starting out? Do you remember wanting to do music or knowing that you were going to do music? Do you remember when you were a little kid there being a an epiphany moment for you? I wanted to express myself. I wanted the arts, and I really didn't care. I was much more into theater, um, and my i remember i mean i've talked about this before but my high school theater teacher it was his first year as a full he was a ta the year before and he talked about how he had loved the theater more than anything and all his friends were going off to hustle in new york or los angeles or chicago and he didn't want to hustle he just wanted the theater and so he decided to teach and i remember at you know it was 15, 14 at the time, I was like, yes, that's me. I don't want to hustle. I don't have any desire to sell myself. I'm too sensitive. It would wreck me. I just want the theater. So I was like, I'm going to teach social sciences. I'm going to teach theater or music in high school. Like, I just want the arts. I don't want to be the guy. And then uh, life will give you what you fear the most. So <laughs> at 18, completely randomly, I had a record deal and dropped out of school. Like, so it was strange in that way. Like, 
yes, all I wanted was to kind of create. And, you know, when I was a kid and, you know, I don't know, like eight years old, like I loved disco. I'm finally just like, I got, I got talked out of loving disco, but I saw those people dancing at studio 54 and soul train and the fabulous clothes. And it looked like total freedom to me. You could be anything. And, and it was every color. It was every, you know, just like everyone being free. And that to me looked like heaven. That looked like the absolute. And so um, in some way I've been chasing that like you know a little kid watching studio 54 going (laughs) so um i have no idea i wish to god i'd discovered bowie back then that would have changed my life god damn it (laughs) i don't know you can't argue with the results you've done pretty well (laughs) it's all been okay and it's funny when you talked about um isbel because he he comes up Mm -hmm for especially for people of the age you and i find ourselves at of a certain like his story is so great and he's such a good guy and the fact that it's really worked Mm -hmm. out as well as it has for him um he but in a lot of ways that touchstone brings up some of the darker sides right like the like a lot of people talk about fighting with the urge to feel envy, right? Why does this person get to have this success? Why? Mm-hmm. And and it's so fueled, obviously, by social media and the, just the scroll of of other people's success yeah. and, and perceived happiness. I wonder for you, um, when you look around at other people and you when you feel like maybe you're, and, and I'm putting words in your mouth here, but so tell me if I'm wrong, but inevitably it seems like we feel, we as artists feel sometimes like we don't get what we deserve or if you feel perhaps in this, like Roseanne Cash brought this up on the very first episode of Wheels Off years ago, mm-hmm. the idea that um, you know that we suffer from imposter syndrome or success guilt, these things that we grapple with. And I know you to be a very self-aware person, someone that thinks a lot about these things. I wonder when you come up against that stuff, how do you push through it? How do you get over those obstacles? I mean, historically, I've just poured gasoline on my entire career and set it on fire. Uh, I mean, I suffered from terrible imposter syndrome uh, during the success of Toad. It, um, you know, most of the time we were, you know, having our, our success. I was like, you know, it was still in the days of letter writing, writing letters home, just, you know, missing... Uh, you know, going between that, you know, when I'm home, I want to go work. When I'm working, I want to go home, like never being in one place. Um, and, you know, there's all the internal band dynamics, which if you start talking about just turns into a VH1 episode. So I won't go there because, uh, you know, all all the perspectives are valid. But it's... Uh, I did a lot of damage to myself. I, I, you know, when the band broke up, even that, you know, nobody took us aside and said like, you can't end this. This doesn't come back. This doesn't ever happen again. Like you get, you know, one shot, do not miss your chance to blow. Like, (laughs) uh, 
I can't believe we were not told like how important it was that we didn't shit on this thing that we'd created. Like take a year off, do whatever you need to do, do solo projects. Like you can't actually afford to, 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 uh, to leave this. It won't happen again. And, you know, and instead of that, I find my, I found myself being, you know, nearly blacklisted and, you know, uh, it, you know, unable to get a record deal at 27 with two kids uh, and starting to have that thing where I'd have, you know, meetings with A&R people and I would talk about what idiots A&R people were with an A&R person. I didn't know how to make demos, didn't know how, like I tor torched my career and uh, had a total depressive breakdown right around, uh, you know, 2000. And, and you know 1999 um like like a you know full-on i hadn't read a book for a year i couldn't read books or watch movies i uh for some reason the first movie i ended up watching was saving private ryan <laughs> uh which left me like oh god we're made of meat i can't protect my family from the inevitabilities of life uh everyone will die i didn't sleep for an entire week oh. and finally finally laurel was just like you gotta get help uh, and you know i i remember i they got me on zoloft i read the entire dune trilogy in a week <laughs> from not having read a book and you know i've been off ssris for a, a while now but um i i was gone you know and so um it was I, I kind of think of it as i knew i was too sensitive i knew i was i couldn't let all of that in and uh i knew i would get damaged by it and it it happened um and i kind of you know i would say i mean some of its circumstance and the times but i torched it uh and you know, the things that brought me back were, you know, Largo and Nickel Creek, <laughs> meeting them when um, they were just coming out and starting to collaborate and going on the road with them and their joy, you know, their love of music. We would play like another hour or two in the parking lot after every show. And then Sean would wake up in the morning and they hadn't been on tour and it was like let's go get coffee i found this local coffee shop a few blocks like there's a museum like like every day was just you know instead of the band all hiding out from each other it was just joy and uh generosity and gratitude and uh they i would say they probably saved my life you know and gave me a number of more years of marriage uh and so um allowed me to have another kid laurel was wanting another kid i i was like i can't even i don't know like i was so dark i i couldn't stand the idea of having another child uh from the time she you know waited over a year um just like to get my head back on to a degree where it was even something i could consider and so i mean at this point now that was a long lead up um you know, the things I want, if if nothing changed in my life, I would simply like to be grateful more often for it. 
Um, it's difficult living where I live because there's, you know, I don't have a home at a price that, you know, it's like, there's that certain, like, can you afford to live your life? And do you, can you afford to change your life? Meaning, can you, could I afford, you know, if we lived in Tucson or something, I, I could tour less and build other things. You know, it's like, can you afford to take creative or vocational risks or are you kind of, you know, I think if you have nothing, then it's easy to take risks. And if you have a lot, it's easy to take risks. And if you're in that middle class, like this is working as this, then it feels very constrained to, you know, take a new step. I remember talking to you during lockdown and asking you about like, man, how does your team like, you know, do your graphics and get you together? Like, are you working? Cause I don't have management and I'm just overwhelmed. And I, you, you said something like, no, I'm organized because I'm panicked. Like uh, it's sheer terror that, that gets me up in the morning and makes me work this hard. It yeah. was really good for me to hear that. <laughs> um, I, yeah. That was so funny that you, that you thought I had had it together so hard. And me, meanwhile, it was just a daily panic attack. Yeah. And, and it made me actually feel better for my lockdown situation because I was working really hard every day, um, getting it all out there, but I wasn't in a financial panic. Like I, and I'd managed to quickly, um, turn things around in a way that ended up being both doing good for people and actually being profitable for me without having to put a price tag on it. Like it ended up being guided by like generosity and gratitude instead of hustle. And I find that those like, I'm trying to be a better capitalist and I'm trying to like <laughs> work out my issues with that. Um, but what I really love is, you know, breaking away from like, I don't know, you know, fixed price transactional economies. Like I was doing my Sunday, uh, sorry, this is just going all over the place, but I was doing my, my Sunday stage it right. Where there's a price, people are tips. You can work that system and you can get really good at manipulating it. Um, and then I did on Tuesdays, I was doing a uh, community choir leading. So it's something that I'd been doing in person, which is community singing. Um, you know, it's not at all mainstream. It has not had its moment in the sun, but it's kind of like, you know, church without dogma. Uh, you get together for an hour and a half. I did an hour on on the web and you sing these like simple, um, somewhat repetitive, fairly uplifting songs. And um, the songs by design, usually there's two or three uh, parts that are kind of contrapuntal, so they're counter melodies. And the, the people who come to this, um, you know, they're sometimes just people who want to sing. Sometimes they're people who have been told they can't or shouldn't sing. So all voices are welcome. There's no performance. There's nothing about it that is 
about being seen or being in the center. We sing for each other to sing with each other, to make a sound that we can't make on our own. And, you know, you get the trained voices and the less trained voices and they end up making something beautiful. And um, it's one of the most profound, like feel good, like as far as a drug that has, you know, no, no sad after effects, like, I'm high for days after we sing together. Um, and, you know, it's just, it brings people back into having some resilience and a feeling of community, a feeling of belonging. And I think every, every culture that's ever existed has sung together kind of until ours, you know, we sing at concerts, um, but it's still a performer audience relationship. And we blur that, but uh, we don't eradicate it. Um, and we don't necessarily, you know, we have, oh, 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 but we, you know, outside of Sweet Caroline, we don't like have these songs that we sing together while we work or while we, you know, just in the evenings, we don't, you know, get together in the evening as families. And, you know, it's like after recorded music, it used to be, if you wanted to hear the hits of the day, you would buy the sheet music and then play them. And now we just play the music or or we don't even we don't sing with or for each other and every culture that's ever existed has had that and i feel like community singing is this um way of plugging into that absence that i think is just something we've actually you know my irrational belief is that we have evolved to expect to sing together um it soothes the vagal nerve it it uh breathing co-regulates heartbeats co-regulate like oxytocin goes through the roof it's like we bond when we sing together it's in in the core of our bodies we need this to make peace with each other and you know and that uh this just provides a road for that and so anyway tuesday nights i would do that but i would do it on zoom uh, with a looper and I would just loop my parts and everybody would be Brady Bunch singing along at home, you know, out of sync. So people would mute and they would sing along with the loop, but we would see each other, talk to each other, check in. Um, and then I did these three back from the real world into the lockdown world. And then I would do three broadcasts a week of, uh, of like a nonprofit fundraiser. I found the donate button on Facebook and so I would, you know, my days, I would vet nonprofits, figure out what would be a good use, uh, make a graphic for that, put that up. And so every day, you know, three days a week, it was like a different food kitchen or animal shelter or, you know, and did that most like for about 18 months. And at some point people were like, can we tip you? And so I threw my Venmo and PayPal at the bottom of the page and I would mention it at some point and it got me through lockdown without like having to, while still keeping it open, right? Where anybody could watch those and they were always for something else. And it was like this experiment in open generosity. And there's this handful of people who, you know, cause some people had nothing. Some people were making twice what they normally made <laughs> and never going out. And it let the audience kind of sort itself out and also 
bonded a whole bunch of people together. And I don't know if you, you've probably experienced this when you go on the road now, like yeah, the, the community that developed in those chats, um, these are friends for life and they're seeing each other in the real world. They're hanging out, they're taking care of each other. They're, you know, it's been an incredibly beautiful thing. Um, and so, and, and that's more what I'm into. Like, I want to be paid in tears. I want to be paid in, like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, people having, you know, cathartic, you know, cathartic experiences and having the music get under their skin. Um, I mean, so that's one of these questions for how do you move this career into something like, I feel more comfortable in something that's like an unofficial ministerial role or creating a space in which community can happen um, or in which people can like see that they're not alone. They're not the only person carrying grief. I think one of the strangest things has been carrying the weight of those new, more intimate or personal um relationships and uh, figuring out how to foster that kind of community while also not getting overwhelmed by it and um because i mean i played a show in chicago recently and it's this thing i mean one part to remember is that everybody is in grief you know any audience you play in front of um, somebody just lost their father. Somebody just lost both their parents. Somebody just lost their brother. Somebody is about to go into surgery for terminal cancer. Someone's wife just passed away. I played this show in Chicago. I knew all those faces and all those particulars. And it kind of like, on the one hand, made me feel like this is what what music is actually for right uh and on the other hand it was kind of more than i could bear yeah uh, and so trying to regulate like my own vulnerability and my own access while also walking this territory i don't have ministerial training <laughs> i'm not a psychologist <laughs> and people aren't asking me i mean by and large i think i've gained in this time better boundaries um but also even for those who have really good boundaries it's still a lot uh, and so trying to figure out how to stay um appropriately guarded while being appropriately open and, and make room for this has been a real process <laughs> and i don't want to shut off or create too many barriers especially for those people who i want to reward people who have great boundaries <laughs> and i and it's been heartening to see how many people do um but it's also it's just a lot to hold but that realization that like oh my god every audience has this everybody you ever play for you don't know what people are going through and everybody's going through something all the time 
like you know grief is the you know uh, david white's quote is grief is the inevitable consequence of loving anything deeply Mm. Uh, because everything we love changes right everything we love is in process and is moving away from us in some way you know we're getting the doppler effect it's either like coming close or it's going away nothing's still and so um and even the things that feel still are just moving slowly like your house is slowly falling down and we'll need a new roof in a few weeks and <laughs> you're aging and you know getting you're gonna die it's like you're not you know you're not going to be the first person who doesn't do that and so um you know i was i became a student of grief um after the swallowed by the new record after my divorce after my empty nest and uh and I still think that work is utterly fascinating. I mean, you know, more so than putting out records. And I, I think that's the thing I've been trying to work out in the last few years is, um, you know, how to kind of make a living and then how to, I don't know, fig- figure out modalities where uh, I love this intimate stuff more than I love winning. And the music industry is set up around winning. And I'm really not interested. And I don't like that feeling of comparing myself back to Jason Isbell to people who are really successful in this you know, realm and who are able to tell their story. It's like, I, um, you know, I got really more involved, you know, things like, uh, you know, grief ceremonies in the, in a kind of Francis Weller, uh, Zabamfu Samale way, you know, where you're in a yurt with 30 people singing a, a 45 second song for about four hours. And there is an altar to weep at an altar of anger, an altar for forgiveness, an altar for ancestors. And, you are either singing or drumming or dancing or you are screaming and there's no way of like there's such a din of noise that no one can kind of take up all the space in the room and it's so it's this container to just squeeze yourself dry uh, and go as deep as you want and feel uh held in community and like things like that interest me a lot more than I don't know. You know, at the same time, I'd like to, you know, have that sense of ease that I used to have again of like, you know, rent that's low enough and lifestyle, you know, that sense of like, okay, the home, of course I got to work. I love working. I love doing all kinds of different, I love touring. I love doing strange things like that. Um, and to kind of balance them all in a way that you know feels like it makes sense uh to me and where it's just like oh i'm doing the things i love i'm home enough days uh, i'm certainly getting my you know creative and spiritual variety in uh yeah it's it's an interesting question to try to kind of work out <laughs> i feel like you I got off a subject no, it's great. There, there's no subject. Um, <laughs> okay, but I feel like you are have always Is been one of the most. 
you're you're one of the most thoughtful people I know. You really you give a lot of thought to the way you live your life, and and I wonder if you were to try and distill some of this wisdom, imagining like a twenty one year old version of Glenn um, in today's world, what advice might you give him? Oh, more gratitude, less worry. I mean, you know, if I had taken things easy, uh, if I had saved money early, uh, if I had more clarity, more gratitude. I mean, it's, I, I think of like, you know, Michael Pollan's, you know, statement on psychedelics, which are, you know, that they're a, a master course in the obvious. Uh, it's those basic, you know, basic things like more love, more gratitude, and that gratitude and love take a lot of work. Um, they're not passive uh, states. I mean, at least not for a person with a neurology or personality like mine. But I think in general, that's why there are mindfulness. That's why cultures develop ritual. That's why we need art. Um, and I can't imagine surviving my life without being a creator. You know, it, it's it's like... That's how I work through things. And I found in, in recent years, like some of the greatest joy I get is enabling others to go into those states and to, to you know, whether it's singing with each other, whether it's uh, seeing people in medicine work, whether it's, you know, it's like seeing people in a raw state, able to um, express themselves, able to feel the things that they're afraid that they can't contain like that if they actually go into it that it might overwhelm them and actually seeing that letting it overwhelm them letting it um expand them leaves them feeling more resilient instead of drained or overcome uh, and like letting them experience their own resilience uh and that that seeing that happen in so many people over the last few years has just been brilliant and coming back to you know music as prayer i i've always had this like i'm not a deist i grew up you know not being told there was a god or told i had to believe in anything but i've always had this kind of you know desire to pray and when i say pray it means just saying thank you to the universe for bothering to exist right and so if you define god as you know just everything that is and then you go like you know if you want to go brian green on it and go and everything that is is a lot there's like seven extra dimensions and they're all folded in each other time is non-linear and you know <laughs> who knows what consciousness may exist in the actual full universe that we can barely even conceptualize right um and so being in states of deep gratitude um you know it, i've realized it requires practice it requires effort it requires discipline um and I love things that take me there and I love being able to say words like prayer or god now in a way that I don't think I don't need to attach to, um, you know, if I have 
things that I consider to be unprovable and irrational belief systems. It's like everything is held together by love. I'm just going to believe in that, that love is like somehow the core substrate that everything is built on and can't prove it, might not be true, doesn't make me stupid, doesn't make me ignore science. Uh, I'm just going to go with it. If it's disproven, that'll be a bummer, but I'll hang out. Like, <laughs> you know, um, so, but being in those spaces and those are spaces that as a boy in the 70s and 80s were not okay to exist in right uh i feel lucky that i found a friend who was like at 18 was reading robert bly <laughs> and like you know getting me into poetry and we would like I remember my friend robinson you know we'd, we'd eat ecstasy and like sit on his bed and listen to indigo girls and just go oh <laughs> you know but that that kind of hippie part of me um has finally you know found some places that feel natural and after maybe a few years of dipping overly deeply into that i feel like there's a balance where i want to be here in the real world um you know feet on the ground with people making good art you know taking care of business not running away uh there were some definite post-divorce years of running away um and it's been amazing to kind of yeah just get that sense of some spiritual life starting to develop itself um but i guess once again back to the advice to the young self it's just like gratitude do things that bring you back to gratitude develop discipline around gratitude um i heard uh, is it chris hardwick who did the nerdist podcast yeah, yeah. a while ago talking about how a bored nerd is the most like destructive force on earth because a nerd's brain needs to be chewing on something and if it doesn't have any good fuel it will eat itself by default mm. and <laughs> and i spent so many years um you know i think i look back at the people i have loved and who love me the friends i have and the one thing i have no regret about is that like the the community that i have the broader community the conversations i've had with fascinating people um when i look at the people who love and who love me in return i would not it's the one thing in my life that i never go into regret about like i wouldn't change a fucking thing i'm overwhelmed with gratitude with that and the the part of that that i have to come back to is that that can't have happened by accident um and that I've lost probably some friends who for years and years were going like, come back. Like you're always in, you're always in, you know, crisis. And I've worn some people out over the years, I think with that. Um, and, you know, the cure to that is gratitude. Doesn't mean I won't have my weather. Doesn't mean I won't go up and down. But um, what I've found is that I don't go as deep into despair. I don't go as frequently. I don't go as long. And the more that I can um, 
take care of my mental health and take care of my gratitude and make it a practice. Just the better that is, the better I am for the people around me and the less people I wear out. And so um, I still have more dear, good, beautiful friends than I could ever hope for. So I want to keep them in my life. So, oh, man. Well, yeah. I'm really glad that you're my friend. And I'm really grateful that you spent this time, you know, getting vulnerable and deep. And I, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Glenn. Yeah, thank you. All right. Thank you so much for listening to Wheels Off. Please be sure to rate and review the show on iTunes. That helps us appear higher in the search results and lets other folks know that it's a cool podcast to listen to. Also, as the kids say, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or anywhere else that you listen to shows like this so that you never miss an episode. This has been Wheels Off, and I'm Rhett Miller, encouraging you to create every day. Thanks, y'all. Hello, Tom May here, host of Future Friday. I've spent the last 15 years on the road with my band, The Menzingers, where I've met all kinds of wild and fascinating people. So I started a podcast. On Future Friday, I talked to fellow musicians about the moments that made them, their passions outside of music, and the curiosities that tie us all together. I've also talked to the likes of UFO researchers, magicians, soldiers, and documentary filmmakers, and I'm constantly searching for folks that can shape and change our view of the world. You can check out Future Friday wherever you like.